Hey guys, I hope you're doing well. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure how much I talk about in the intro, but um, I haven't listened back to it yet. But this episode, you might be wondering where certain things are, like why I didn't talk about the, all the NFL games or a lot of college or any college football in this episode. This is more just an episode of things that happened over the course of the past couple of days. Um, and so it, it's just an episode that I wanted to make sure that we were still getting you episodes that you wanted to listen to. Um, and so this is just, I wouldn't call it a filler episode, just more of a bonus type of episode. Uh, expect a full episode later this week. Uh, enjoy the episode. I said episode a lot. Hey guys, what is up? And welcome back to the show. Now today we have just a me episode. This is probably going to be around 20 minutes, a little bit shorter. Just a me episode. Um, because I feel like we need to get one out. But we are going to be talking about Zach Wilson and saying things that his teammates didn't really like, some comments that he made, basically saying that the blame isn't his fault, and we're and we're going to be talking about how really it is, um, and how the quarterbacks behind him right now maybe should get a chance again. Number two, are the Vikings okay? Now, they lost 40-3 to at home in a game that was supposed to be close. Are they going to be okay? Are they still a contender? Number three, UVA wins the Las Vegas main event, and they are up to number five in the poll. Are they legit? And number four, Gonzaga versus Kentucky. Talks about Calipari. Talks about um, how good Kentucky is, how good Gonzaga is, and uh, just a game overview as well coming up on today's show. All right, so first things first is Zach Wilson making comments, which has some of his teammates alarmed and concerned and not happy over the fact that he's basically saying the blame of these losses, these few losses that like this last game, it shouldn't be on him. Um, and for me, this is, as Stephen A would probably put it, blasphemy. Um, I think it's stupid that he's even saying these things like this. And really, in my opinion, Zach Wilson, if there's a hot seat for players, he should be on it right now because I would not be surprised if the Jets decided to go back um, and give Mike White a chance again or go back to Joe Flacco like they started at the beginning of the season because really, over these first two seasons, it has not gone well for Zach Wilson. And now for him to even be making these comments, like, as if, like, 
I think if it put it this way, I'm not saying Justin Fields is saying this. He's not. He's he's not making these comments, anything like this. He's just an example. Like if it would be one thing for if it were to be like uh, Justin Fields, who's been playing really well, and but they're still losing. For him to say maybe something like, "Hey, I don't think that this is my fault." Um, but what makes it even worse in this situation is Zach Wilson's not even playing well. If he were throwing 300 yards and three touchdowns a game, and they were still losing. Hey, you you might have a little bit of a right to say it, but even in the at the end of the day, you shouldn't be able to say stuff like that because really, not only does that affect the chemistry within your organization, making the players question you more, not really like you as well. It, it from a leadership standpoint, um, it makes it more it makes it worse for you, and that's going to make it harder to win games. Um, it's going to make it harder to win games because. You now have your players questioning you. You have your fans questioning you. And and from a fan's perspective, they were already questioning you before because they already felt like um, you you weren't playing very well. So now they're saying he's not playing well and he's saying it's not his fault when really we think it kind of is. So now really it kind of is going to get to a point where everyone's kind of questioning Zach Wilson. Um, and... So really, I think that he needs to eventually find a spot in the bench, not only because he hasn't been playing well, but even more so that he's supposed to be kind of the guy. Yes, he's only a second year, but he's their quarterback. He He's the, play, he's the player that the Jets hope is their future QB because they haven't had one in a good deal of time because obviously look at how Sam Darnold turned out. But they, cause, So they haven't had a like a franchise QB in a great deal of time. So you want... They're trying to find that, and now I'm, people are probably starting to question Zach Wilson again at this point, and uh, it's 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 just not a good look at the moment. And I really feel like that they need to might need to go back to Joe Flacco. Even Mike White played well in a few games last season, and Joe Flacco had a four touchdown, no interception, three hundred yard game this year, which is by the way. He threw four touchdowns in one game. That's how many Zach Wilson has this year along to go along with five interceptions. Yeah, Zach, you're playing really well. It's totally not your fault. Secondly, um, are the Vikings in trouble? Now, there was already concerns for me. Obviously, they were 8-1 and one coming into this game, and it was kind of a quiet 8-1. and one. Like I feel like most people were still talking about the Eagles being 8-1, and one, which obviously is still a surprise to me. They're now 9-1. and one. Um, obviously I think they're good, but not, not nine and one good, which is, so it's pretty impressive to me. But anyways, but this Vikings team, I just think it's kind of, um, it's kind of, I, I don't really know how to put it. It's just, it was already kind of a red flag for me that they were, um, only winning these games by single possessions every single time. Obviously in, in a, from a playoff standpoint, that's good because that means that they're clutch it means that they can win close games on a consistent basis. But really, that at, at a point is going to break down on you. And so, really, I, I kind of already thought that they're, they're going to come, there's going to be one of these games, especially a game that they could come out competing against a good, another good team like the Cowboys are. And just they're just going to fall apart. And this is exactly what they did in this game. Now, is it a reason to panic yet? No. And there's a couple of reasons why. Obviously, they're 8-2. and two. They only have to win two or three more games to be a lock for the playoffs. And obviously, they're going to be hoping to win more than that. Um, and they're coming off that win against the 
the the comfort behind win against the Bills. Obviously, there's a little bit of luck to that game, but obviously those types of things happen. In in that's that's what's so good about football. Things like that happen, and so really they were coming off of a Bills win, where the Bills are one of the best teams in the league. Um, and Kirk Cousins was 30 for 50, 357 yards. He did throw a couple of picks, but had a touchdown, 350 yards. And he comes in, he doesn't even throw half of that amount of yards. Um, and so really, I just feel like all around it, what it was, what was kind of just a lackluster game. And I think part of the problem was the pressure was really getting to him. That's what was causing him to have trouble. They only got 23 throws off. Um, obviously, there's 50 attempts in the previous game, less than half of that, less than half the amount of yards, uh, lower completion percentage than normal. Um, and and just, just all around, for from a Kirk Cousins perspective, just a lower completion percentage, lower attempts, uh, lower yards, um, lower, lower yards per attempt or yards per completion, um, and he got sacked seven times, which is more than he'd been, that, which is like a few more than averaged all season given up by this offensive line. So really just the, the, the long and short of it is, should they have lost by 37? Obviously not. But the Cowboys really came into this game, and they found ways to exploit this Vikings team and they were able to execute it for a long time and they were and the Vikings weren't able to adjust to it. So do I think it's a panic button for the Vikings? I do not. But do I think that they're going to obviously have to improve off of this? Obviously, you can't be losing by 37 no matter what team it is. Even like the worst teams in the league like the Texans, like the Panthers, they shouldn't even be losing by 37. They're not losing by 37. So this is obviously the worst loss for a team this year. And it's something that shouldn't happen. Um, and so, really, do I think that there it's a panic button yet? No. But are there going to be have to be some improvements that come out of this? Yes, of course. All right. Thirdly, now the, P- the Panthers. I was about to say the Panthers. Uh, UVA has won the Las Vegas main event, um, and this was a really good tournament for them to play in. And I remember. Before the season, I, obviously, you know I'm a UVA fan by now if you've been listening for a while, but um, I was looking at the schedule and I was slightly concerned to watch us play Baylor and then potentially play UCLA or Illinois as well, all in the same tournament. I thought there was a chance that we could lose both the games and it would be a confident strainer make us think that we weren't a top, top team in the nation. But boy, was I wrong. Now, obviously, you, you've probably heard a lot of UVA fans. They can be a, kind of a unoptimistic at times if you know I'm, I'm not one of them but you know you I just I was just a little bit concerned but we come in there we were up by, on Baylor by 21 and then uh and then we come out and we play Illinois and then we're able to beat them you might be think, sitting here listening to this right now he's only talking about UVA because he's a UVA fan and he's biased for UVA all that type of stuff no I'm not UVA has come in here They've proven themselves now to me because of this tournament that they're a top five team. As of now, they are ranked number five in the AP poll, and I think that is truly deserved. Kihei has improved from the outside. Beekman has improved from the outside. Franklin is the guy that they need the most to improve, and he has surely done that. For right now, he's at 45%, went up from 29% from last year, and that is what they needed because it would make it easier for the defenses to defend against them because they didn't have to worry so much about the three-point 
distance. They could more folk. They could more lay off because UVA didn't have. They didn't have really a single shooter that was a consistent shooter that could shoot consistently um, for the entire length of a season, the entire length of a game. Maybe like there would always be those one games where Franklin went like five of seven from three, but then the next game he'd be zero of seven. Like you knew the stuff was there for these guys, but then it just was the consistency that they were lacking last year. And this year, I think the addition of Vanderplas really can help them on the boards and in size factoring. Um, and I think that Armand, if Armand Franklin can continue to shoot the ball the way he has these first four games, that's going to be crucial. And if Beekman and Kihei can consistently be the same duo. Personally, I've always been an, opt- an activist for Kihei losing a few minutes. But the way he's playing right now, I he's pushing me away from that, which I want him to do that. I want to be able to say, Kihei, I already think Beekman is really good. I want to be able to say, Kihei Clark is a really good piece to this team. Um, and so that would be great if he can prove that to me. But just really, what makes this team stand out from last year's team is just the offensive improvement. And I think, I just feel like that they can shoot the ball now. They have multiple guys. They can have lineups in there where everyone but the center can shoot the ball. Um, obviously, Shedrick doesn't shoot threes, for example. Kafar doesn't shoot threes. Um, but I just think that Beekman could, can be a threat if he's open. Kie can be a threat if he's wide open. Um, Armand could be a threat even if he's covered. Um and so, really, that's that's just what separates them from last year's team. They're a more versatile offensive team. Um, the defense is obviously still there. And now that they're really, truly a top-five team, and I think that they're a team that should be in contention, um, as a top-five ranking would suggest, um, because they've just obviously improved in all areas from the previous year. Um, and obviously, you still got Tony Bennett, right? Um, and so, really, just this team is worth talking about because they beat a really good Illinois team, and they beat a really good Baylor team. It was like Keontae George, right? That's his name. Um, they were able to contain him. He's a very talented freshman. Uh, Shannon, uh, Shannon. Uh, let me think. Terrence Shannon. That, that that there it was. Containing him to only nine points. Uh, 9.6 assists, 4 rebounds on 35 minutes played. And see, that's just what the key part is going to be for this team. Uh, the pack line defense really does a good job of preventing teams from uh, from their star players. Obviously, it's main, mainly to limit inside shots, but it's just it's also done a good job as it's proven early in the season for through these first two games these two games, that they're able to contain opposing stars, which is going to be big when it comes to ACC tournament, when it comes to NCAA tournament, when it comes to these big games, like they play Houston coming up. You could probably still consider Michigan a big game. Um, And so really just an all-out improved team from last year, and it's just deserving of that number five ranking. Um, And really, if there's anything that I could say that they need to improve on, it's just I do notice that with the new players like Vanderplas, McNeely, at times they've blown coverages. Obviously, it's tough to learn this pack line. And so just I think by ACC, but they're still able to win. And so I feel like by ACC play, if they're able to perfectly have that down, all the new guys that are playing, um, which is really Dunn, McNeely, and Vanderplas. Um, And so if they're able to get that down, 
this team is really in contention for the Final Four from what I've seen so far. And as the commentators were saying yesterday, it felt like an Elite Eight game. And so really, I, I feel like that this is a team that is going to make the tournament and then some um, at this moment. And so really, just talking about what is next for them, I think that they are better than UNC because UNC's had a couple of games like the Charleston hung in there with them too much. I feel like for to consider them number one, um, and so I feel like right now it's Duke and UVA at the top, UNC right below them, right behind them, very close behind. But for me right now, UVA has this opportunity to really come out on top here again. The final thing that we're going to talk about in this episode is the Gonzaga versus Kentucky game and how it was kind of more of a disappointing game because it was one-sided for the entire time. Um, and this was the first matchup of, of the six-year thing that they've started with uh, Kentucky and Gonzaga. Next year it's going to be at Rupp Arena in Kentucky. Um, but this game, it, it adds more to the Kentucky fans' annoyance with John Calipari. Obviously, we remember them losing to St. Peter's in the first round of last year's tournament, and now they come into this year, they lose by 16 to... Oh! Uh, sorry, I apologize for that. Uh, as I'm making this, I got the World Cup running in the background. Uh, it is uh, 2.39 p.m. right now, and uh, the U.S. just scored... They're now up 1-0 against Wales, and so uh, that's what the screen was for. Um, I Let me figure out where I was real fast. They lost by 16 to a solid Gonzaga team, but it's a Gonzaga team that I don't think... I said it before they played Texas. I said it before the season. I don't think Gonzaga is as good as everyone, as a lot of people seem to think they are. They play in the West Coast Conference, which for a team of their caliber is a cupcake schedule. So it really makes the number two, the top ten ranking that they have all the time, seem all the lot better. So, um, um, makes the that, that top ranking seem all the better, and it makes it easier to retain that because they don't really play anyone during the season. Over the past five or six years that they've contained that ranking, they don't have a national championship to show for it. Um, and so just really, I feel like if they were to move to another conference, they would get killed on a consistent basis. And losing by uh, like 19 or whatever it was to... Um, to Texas is just an example of that, and I think now here with Kentucky losing to Gonzaga this easily in a game where they weren't really in it for a lot of it, I don't believe, um, it, it makes it seem all a lot worse. But see, now, with John Calipari's legacy um, and, and that $52 million buyout they would have to pay him if they fire him, I really don't see that unless a lot gets worse I don't really see I don't really see him going anywhere anytime soon. If they were if they have another first round exit as a higher seed in this year's tournament, maybe. But I, I just don't I just don't really see him going anywhere just because the hefty price that Kentucky would have to pay for him and um, how good of a coach he's been for them in the past is he's he's the reason why they're they're, they're of this prominent of a basketball school. Um, and so really I I, I, 
like in the 21st century. So really, I just I just don't see why they would fire him at the moment. Obviously, the fans are starting to get fed up with him, but I just don't see why they would get rid of him right now. I feel like it's kind of too soon to make that decision. 